Hey everyone, welcome to episode 121, my beautiful beans. Today, this episode is all going to be based around happiness, how to create real lasting change with your happiness. Because obviously we're all on this journey that we want to increase our happiness. We want to feel good. We want to enjoy the life that we have while we're on this earth, okay? That is what kind of happiness is all about, I think. For me at least. Anyway, what I'm going to be talking about in this episode is this this idea around lasting happiness. Is it possible? Is it not? All these concepts around, you know, reading all these different papers, all these different articles around it to put this episode together. And ultimately, absolutely, yes, it is possible to create lasting change, but it's not in the areas that you think it is. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. It's really cool. Um, But yeah, before I I go too much further into that, I'll just give a brief update on my life and a brain fact. Update on my life, not much. Although... This comes out on Monday. Yeah, okay, so I'm so excited because on Thursday, my friends Lucy and Nikki, who have been on the podcast, a lot of you might also listen to their podcast, which is Happy Hour with Lucy and Nikki. They're an absolute, like just the best fucking energy ever. And they are having a live show down in Melbourne on Thursday. So I am going to be going down for the live show. They've got a brunch with a bunch of their, um, they call them punters or the following. You know, I call you guys my beans. They call their listeners their punters. And they've got like a punter brunch on Saturday in Melbourne. So I'm going to that as well. It's going to be such a good time. So that's pretty much it as far as an update for my life. I'm not going to bore you with the mundane details of just, you know, my regular um, daily habits and rituals. Anyway, the brain fact for today, let's get straight into it, is something called stereo blindness. So basically, this is really fucking interesting. It's where it's the inability to see in 3D or the inability to use your stereo vision. So you can't see, it's called stereoscopic depth, which is from combining and comparing what you see from each eyeball. Okay. So it's basically the inability to perceive depth. If you can't see in 3D, you can't really perceive depth just from like, just from what you're seeing in your visual field. So what you've got, you've got your left field of vision that your left eye captures. You've got your right field of vision that your right eye captures. And in between that, that space that both eyes capture is an area that's called the binocular field of vision. And what the brain does, it grabs all the information that's in that binocular field of vision and then combines this through processes within the brain and turns it into a 3D vision or a 3D image within your brain, okay? And if – so obviously if you are blind in one eye um, or if you don't have one of your eyes, then you by default have this this stereo blindness. So if – Basically, stereo blindness meaning coming from more than one source, or stereo coming from more than one source. So if you think about speakers, stereo speakers come from two or more speakers as opposed to mono sound or mono vision where it's only one channel is being used to convert a signal. So pretty much compare the difference between an AM radio and an FM radio and that kind of gives you an idea of the experience of stereo versus non-stereo and you look at kind of with vision as well. You can still see, you can see absolutely everything, but it's not being interpreted in your brain as like this 3D perception of depth. But if you have stereo blindness, there's still a lot of ways that you can go about identifying depth um, 
initially it starts off as kind of conscious processing and then it comes a, becomes a bit more subconscious. So, for example, if objects are bigger, in general, they're probably closer. The more details that an object has, the closer it is. If there's layers of objects, the ones that are in front are obviously closer than the ones that are behind it. Um, if it's really far away, ultimately things are going to converge um, on the horizon, so you have an idea of roughly how far they are based on where the horizon is. Um, color, like the sharpness of a color is also a factor and shadows also give you a good idea of depth um, perception if you don't have um, this stereo vision. And then what happens if you do have stereo blindness? Um, a whole bunch of things. It's it's really hard to get your license. You can get your license, but I, I believe, it depends on the country, but I'm pretty sure that depending how you go when you sit your test, you pretty much, if you have stereo blindness, you either don't get your license or you have to sit for like a vision test every time you re renew your license. Hand-eye coordination is a lot harder. Driving in general is harder. And a lot of people who have it, slash everyone who has it, can't become a pilot or something like that. Anything that requires 20-20 vision is just not possible if you have stereo blindness. But how does it happen? So it could be obviously with trauma to an eye. If you you know, go blind in one eye if you injure an eye badly enough that you're not going to be able to have that binocular field of vision and it's not going to be working properly. But it can also happen when your eyeballs are perfectly fine. There might be nothing wrong with your eyes. But if you've sustained like a trauma or an injury to a part of the brain called the optic chiasm um, or chiasma as some textbooks call it um, – that part of the brain is like a cross in the brain and it's where the nerve fibers from the eyeballs cross so that way you've got parts of the left eye, certain nerves of the left eye going over to the right side of the brain and certain nerves of the right eye going over to the left side of the brain. Um, it's really complicated. I'll explain it better in another podcast. But basically it crosses over, not all of them but some. If that optic chiasm is damaged or destroyed, then you're not going to have this um, stereo vision. You're not going to have this 3D vision or depth of perception. And also if certain regions of this corpus callosum, which is a part of the brain where a lot of fibers cross over from each hemisphere, if that is damaged, then it might damage your ability to perceive depth as well. But then there are some cases where people have stereo blindness and the reason isn't apparent. Like they can't figure it out. They've done scans. They've kind of looked at everything and it's, it appears normal, but they just don't have it. And for some people, it's more extreme than it is for others. So I know that some people, you know, struggle with depth perception, catching a ball, not realizing how close it is, all of that kind of stuff. So that might be a reason as to why some people are so much better at hand-eye coordination and things like that than other people. So yes, that's that's pretty much the brain fact for today. Stereo blindness, very fucking interesting. I actually loved um, visual neuroscience when I was doing my undergrad. It was so sick. You'd walk in there and you'd put on these like 3D glasses and you'd understand how if you're like filtering out certain wavelengths with one in one eye and filter, you know, where you do the red and the blue on either eye, then you kind of have two visions that your brain's trying to interpret and that's kind of how it makes that image jump out in front of you. So really cool stuff like that. I used to love visual neuroscience. I at one point I was like, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to be in the visual neuroscience field and that's going to be my career. But lol, how, how life has many twists and turns and here I am with my podcast instead. Anyway, let's get into the topic of today, which is all about lasting happiness. Can you create lasting happiness in your life for yourself in general? So I did a bit of research into this topic and the idea of lasting change, is it possible, all of that. In order to talk about that, i I have to talk about something called hedonic adaptation or it's also called the hedonic treadmill. 
which kind of makes me think of like a hamster on a treadmill. But this is really fucking interesting and it's really important to understand the concept of hedonic adaptation. So basically it's not something good and it's not something bad because I'm going to show you how it can work in your favor big time. But to understand it and to use it in your favor and to see what is happening so you can interpret life situations and your mood and how you behave throughout different experiences in your life is crucial to be able to harness your own happiness, okay? So this was discussed in this paper by that fucking I'm gonna bastardize the names here, but by Dania or Diana Lucas and Scollin in 2006, and basically what hedonic adaptation is, it's referring to this idea that after a positive or a negative event in your life, people will ultimately return to their baseline level of effect or baseline level of happiness. So in other words, their level of happiness will will go back to what they were used to having. So with this idea, we all hold – so we all have this concept that if some monumental event occurred in our life, it would either make us depressed for life or it would make us happy for life. But instead, this hedonic adaptation model suggests that you will return to your set level of happiness regardless of what highs and lows come your way. So you'll have a low and you're going to go through the trenches, you'll experience all of that. But in a matter of time, and roughly they say around 18 months, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's less, but you end up returning back to what your normal state level of happiness is. And the same goes for something positive. So for example, there was a study that was done and it showed that 18 months after winning a lottery... Those people who won the lottery were no happier than the comparison group of people that were in the lottery but did not win it. And they were no happier than what they were 18 months ago before they had won the lottery. So they had a big spike in happiness, this excitement, this thrill, this adrenaline. Oh my God, I just won all this money. I can do all this stuff with this money. But then that happiness returned to baseline. And the same also went for people that underwent um, like a traumatic or a sad or difficult event. So for example, divorce, even a death, um, sustaining a disability like being wheelchair bound or loss of income, things that people would think would be so, so hard to deal with in the studies that were done. Yes, they went through a really difficult time, but after about 18 months, even if like the injury was sustained for life, they went back to their original level of happiness. They were able to just return back to their state level of happiness, okay? And I think this explains a lot about how we perceive happiness and and this mistake or this um, delusion that most of us have, um, definitely not all of us, but most of us have of seeking happiness in the in the in the obtaining of things, of uh, status, of all of that. You know, we think that when we get here, then I can be happy. When I achieve this, then I can relax and I'll be happy. And this idea that one big event is going to change your life. Like when I find my partner, then I can be happy. Or when I've paid off this loan, then I can be happy. But the hedonic adaptation will swoop on in and say, no, fuck face, no, that's not what's going to happen. And this might also explain why this could have happened to you or to many people. If you're always looking at these external factors such as success or winning or having a job title or having this status, that if you have this idea that that's going to make you happy, they're the people that are always chasing happiness and are never truly happy in the moment. Because after that initial thrill of having achieved something big or achieved something great, hedonic adaptation makes it so that you will return back to your baseline level of happiness. You become accustomed to it. You become, it becomes the norm. So what was initially exciting is now just standard. So whatever you, so if you were generally a happy person, great. You just 
you're back to your normal general level of happiness. But if you were someone that was always, you know, not a happy person in general, not satisfied with your life, you're going to go back to that dissatisfaction if it's all these external big events that you think are going to make you happy. This also explains a lot about the mindset of those people who look at celebrities who have all the money in the world, they have all the power, this, well, maybe not all the power, but they've got a lot of influence and power, they have status, they've got so many fans, so many people that love them and they talk about going through hard times or depression or they have you know, their meltdowns and there's a, there's a population of people that look at those people and say, what do you have to be sad about? What is there to be sad about? Look at your life. That is an insight into how that person's mind works. If you think that someone with money and status and fans can't be sad, then you don't understand what happiness is about. So if you're someone that's there trolling celebrities thinking, you've got nothing, oh, what have you got to complain about? You don't understand happiness because that is not what makes you happy. And and celebrities that have got all of that, this whole hedonic adaptation model is happening where no matter what all these external things are happening outside of them, ultimately they're going to return to the baseline of, of what their mood generally is and what's going on in their head and what's happening, how they perceive their reality and how they are going through the motions day to day. These big events are only going to create peaks and valleys, but it's got nothing to do with this baseline. And the baseline is what we want to be talking about. And happiness comes from altering that baseline. It's not about the peaks and valleys. It's about can we lift our standard of happiness, our overall baseline, without looking for these big um, spikes all the time to keep it to keep it high keep it high keep it high because it's always going to drop back down and then of course there's all these studies that have found that income overall income does not equal happiness even as gdp goes up in certain countries measure of overall happiness does not go up okay so as and countries that are less financially well off often definitely not always but in many countries that are less financially well off, they have a higher happiness rate and quality of life overall to those where they have the highest number of wealthy people um, or quote unquote professional successful people in inverted commas. So when it comes to wins or money, it's the idea, it's kind of, look at the idea of chocolate, okay? The first bite is fucking amazing. It's exciting. We're thrilled. We're so excited. The second bite is almost as good. Maybe not as good, but fuck, it's good. The third bite, and then you start adapting to it. And then it's no longer exciting. The thrill is gone. Yes, you want it, but it's not exciting. It's there for the taking. You enjoy it. You like it, but you've now taken it for granted because it's just there. And in some cases, for example, like eating sugar, you just get over it altogether. You don't want a bar of it. So what does this baseline of happiness look like and how, because now we understand this hedonic adaptation of the highs and lows and how that's not going to make you happy because we ultimately people just go back to the baseline. So let's talk about what will make you happy. So what's going to actually make you happy? Where do you find happiness? And obviously I've banged on about this in the past that it can only be created by you and within you, but how? Let's fucking, let's talk about exactly how. So there's something that's called the hedonic adaptation prevention model. And basically it's a a model that aims to prevent this hedonic adaptation happening too quickly in your life. And you can actually prevent it pretty easily, but you have to implement these two things on a daily basis. And if you implement these two basic things on a daily basis, and I'm going to explain how to implement them because we've all heard of them a million times, that is actually what determines your happiness, not the, the, the peaks that I was talking about. So the two things are variety and appreciation. 
And I read up on this and there's a researcher, Martin Seligman, who basically researches this concept of pleasure versus gratification. Um, So let's basically go into that, the the comparison of pleasure versus gratification. So for example, let's look at a song. You hear a song that you love, right? You're like, this is a fucking banger. I'm never going to get over this. I get like a thrill. I've got all these like endorphins pumping through my body, all these positive, you know, feelings. And I just want to like jump up and down. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Okay. So you play it. And then you play it again and you play it again and again and again and again to the point where you find it fucking boring. How can something go from thrilling and triggering a whole release of feel-good neurochemicals to plain boring where you almost just want to change the song? You're like, oh, I'm so over it. Get that fucking song off, okay? Why is this happening in the first place? There's many reasons why you're going to get over it. Number one, there's no variety. You're just banging it, banging it, banging it out, banging it out. You start adapting to it very, very quickly. And number two is that the more you play it, especially if you're playing it again and again and again, you start doing other things. You start getting distracted and you're less likely to be in the moment really appreciating that song, like listening to every part of the song, feeling it in your body, thinking, wow, this is amazing. By the 10th time that you've played that song, you're doing other things. You're a bit distracted. You're like, ah, this is just annoying me now. So already there you can see how lack of variety and lack of appreciation is already causing this hedonic adaptation, okay? Now, if you were to play that song and think, wow, that's so good, but I'm not going to listen to it for a little bit. I'll just play my other playlist or I'll listen to a podcast or whatever. And then you get back in your car and you're like, oh, let's play that song. You're much likely to not only like that song for a whole lot longer, but probably never get over that song. You might not like it as much as you did originally, but you're never going to get to that point where you're like, I'm done with this fucking song. You'll always appreciate it. You'll enjoy it, or at least for a very long time. If you're only listening to it in like little drips here and there and appreciate appreciating it when you do listen to it. Another part of this appreciation is to look at instant gratification and make sure that not all your joy comes from instant gratification. This is where you want to be looking at finding activities that the more you do, the better it feels. The more you engage or the more you participate, the better it feels. And it's also about enjoying the journey and not the win. This is where effort plays a huge role because we actually get a lot of our happiness through our own effort. But the effort can't be so difficult that it's almost impossible where you're literally not hitting the mark every single time because that's not going to make you feel good. It's got to be enough effort that you're changing and growing and you've got all these little challenges that you're over overcoming every so often, uh, but you're seeing progress versus something being so easy that it's instant gratification. So again, back to that chocolate analogy, that's instant gratification. I want a piece of chocolate. I've put the chocolate in my mouth. It feels fucking good. And now I don't want to eat 20 more pieces though. It's like listening to that song for the thousandth time. That's instant gratification. It just doesn't feel great after a while. But if you were to do something like, let's take surfing as an example, you've chosen to start surfing. You're like, wow, it feels really good. There's many facets of surfing that I think will be great. You know, I'm out in the water. It's peaceful. I'm relaxed, but it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that I can kind of do. And, and there's many wins along the way of my journey from being an amateur to getting semi good where I can actually go out and stand up and ride waves. For example, I'm not a surfer, by the way, I'm the worst surfer in the world, but this is an example. Okay. So there is this earned process to getting to the beach, paddling out, finding the wave, focusing on what you're doing, staying focused. And it's not the same every time. So you're getting variety. There is an effort involved and there's this gratification process where it's not instant. It's earned gratification, right? So this is a process that's going to make you happier where you can experience the joy for a whole lot longer. So notice the difference. You could go surfing and enjoy it and think, I want to go surfing every single day. And because it's slightly different and because you're increasing your skills every time you go surfing, you're not going to get 
get to a point where you have this hedonic adaptation of fuck this shit. This is something that you appreciate in the moment because you've got effort and focus involved in this moment, right? And there's always variety. So there now you're starting to notice the difference between the two. And then of course you want to look at just gratitude in general. I know people are always saying, oh, be grateful. Oh, fucking, you know, even that can get a little bit old if you're like, okay, I have to sit here for five minutes every fucking day and name the top 10 things that I'm grateful. Then you might just rattle it off like kind of this route learning thing. Like I'm grateful for my home, I'm grateful for my family, but you're not actually feeling it. So that's kind of a little bit void. Like I wouldn't recommend you do it if you're just going to sit there and rattle off a list and then just fuck around for the rest of the day. That's not the point of it. When you're actually thinking of things that you can be grateful for, you have to really appreciate it in the moment. And for me, one of the best ways of doing that is I, one of the, the best ways for me to feel grateful is I think about what I have now that I've gotten really used to that in the past would have really excited me because there's certain things that I now have in my life that, yeah, I've worked hard for. Yes, I've earned, but I can get complacent about. And all I have to do to think, wow, this is really cool and I can really appreciate what I have now without needing more is to think about my past self of a year ago, two years ago, whatever, and think, wow, this is what you used to really want. And now you're living this, you've earned it. It's your daily life. This is really cool. Instead of thinking where I am now, I want to have all this other stuff because you can always have goals and I have many, but that's not where you're, where you're placing your happiness on. That's more on like your growth goals, your purpose and all of that. That's different. I've got other episodes around that, but for happiness right now here today, you want to be thinking about how can I be grateful for what I have and feel the feelings of gratitude, not just rattle them off. Okay. So for me, I like to put myself in the shoes of my past self and everybody has something that they can think of, whether it's a car that you drive whether you used to really want your car, whether it's having your license when you used to really think, oh my God, when I get my license, it'll be amazing. Now you have it. It's pretty cool. You can be grateful for that. It could be the relationship that you're in. It could be the friendship group that you have and maybe you used to have a shitty friendship group and now you have a really good one and you used to dream of it and now you have it. And it's really easy to get complacent, but remind yourself of when you didn't have it and how you felt. So that's for me, a really good way of uh, practicing gratitude. Another thing you want to do is to stop thinking that happiness is ahead of you. You're going to look back and we're fucking so good at looking at the future and the past through rose-colored lenses and looking at the present as just like this annoying fucking thing that's just going to be like done. When it's the other way around, you should be looking at now as like, this is the sweet spot. This is the time. The past is done. Yeah, I can reminisce and laugh about it and whatever. And the future's yet to come. So I can't really know what's going to happen there. But right now is where I'm experiencing. You're not experiencing your past anymore. You are not experiencing your future. You're not there yet. It's just here, right here, right now. So another thing that I like to do is even if I'm going through something that's stressful or annoying or something's backfired, I say to myself, and I say this to my friends as well when we're going through something annoying, I can't wait to laugh about this. And that statement alone, if you break the circuit and say, I can't wait to laugh about this fucking infuriating thing that I'm going through right now, it just saying that lightens the load and makes you laugh about it, makes you kind of release a bit of tension and makes you experience a little bit of joy in that moment. 
some of the best times that I've experienced traveling, like with my friend Lucy and whatever, there were so many things that went wrong. Like everything went wrong. But we were able to, even in that moment, being like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. This is so uncomfortable. This is like everything's gone wrong. But we are able to laugh about it now. We don't even have to wait a year to look back and think, wow, that was actually funny in reality. No, we're able to look at like, this is so fucking ridiculous how everything's gone wrong that it's funny. You know, if you can get to that headspace where you're so stressed that all of a sudden you laugh, then you're starting to capture what happiness is about. It's looking at these tiny little moments scattered throughout the day and thinking, I can make this into a good thing or I can laugh about this even if it's not really benefiting me right now. I can lift my mood by thinking this is fucking ridiculous. This is a joke. Let's just laugh. Now, the next thing that we're, so that's all appreciation, gratitude, not instant gratification, but more kind of earned gratification. The next thing is variety, continued variety in what you are doing in your life. Variety is crucial. If you are, if you win the lotto, spend all the money and then go back to what you were doing, where is the variety? You've just, there's this one big event and then what, you know, you never want to be in a position of now what, you know, you should always be providing variety in your life in all different avenues of your life. And it doesn't have to be, I have to have variety in my job every single day. No, it can fluctuate. Sometimes you've got more variety in your relationships. Sometimes it's more so in work. Sometimes it's more so in your personal activities, your hobbies. It can kind of, it ebbs and flows. You don't have to have a high level of variety in every area of your life. If you can, great, but that's not necessary. Again, look at how hedonic adaptation works in the dating scene, okay? At first, All you need to do to get your heart racing is to have that person text you when you just start seeing someone or see them or, you know, that anticipation where you've gotten ready for the date. It's like week two and you're about to meet up with them and it's just like, I'm so excited. This is so, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Okay. That, you get used to it pretty fucking quickly. Like, yes, you love them, but the excitement of the first few weeks is not really there anymore. You just, you've, you've adapted to it. You're used to it. You're more comfortable around them. It's not really a thrill anymore. You probably love them more in a deeper, calmer way, but that excitement is, it's fucking dead in the water. Let's be honest. So, and then think about when you live together, this hype of like, oh my God, we're moving in together. It's going to be so fun. In a very short amount of time, you've adapted very quickly. You almost kind of, not forget, but you almost are just so used to living with that person in such a quick amount of time because we adapt, we as human beings are very good at adapting that we almost kind of dismiss or forget what it was like to live alone. Like, yeah, we've got this idea of it, but we kind of don't even think about it now because this is now our new norm and we've adapted to it. So it's now not exciting because we've adapted to it. So this is where in a relationship, if you want to keep that relationship rich and flourishing, you need to continue to bring growth and variety to the table because what was enough at the start doesn't it doesn't isn't enough later on what was exciting at the start isn't as, as exciting so i would recommend in a relationship find ways to surprise your partner and i'm talking about small things small surprises you want to focus on the little things it's always the little things little things that keep them aware that you are into them And vice versa, like you can even say, hey, from now on, we're going to start doing little surprises for each other 
just randomly throughout the week. It reminds you, wow, this person's really into me. This is really cool. Like flirt with your partner. Even if you've been together for 20 years, flirting with someone is a great way to surprise your partner pleasantly. Making a comment that maybe you would have made when you first started dating. They're going to be like, oh, wow, didn't expect that. That kind of stuff. You know, little things, leaving them, like Tyrone will leave me random little notes around the house. And when I see them, I'm like, oh my God, that's so cute. And then I think, oh, I'm so grateful to be in the relationship. That It's these little circuit breakers that snap you into the present moment thinking that's so cute or that wow that's really nice or wow I'm so grateful that they were just you know I know that they were thinking of me when they did this little thing or I know that we might just be sitting here you know seemingly you know we're waiting in line for something being boring and they turn around and make a comment that's like really flirty or whatever it is but start surprising your partner with these tiny things or be a bit more spontaneous in the relationship like you might have planned to have a dinner when you get home and do your normal I'm going to come home, sit down, watch TV, we make dinner, we keep watching TV, we get ready, we go to bed. Come home one day and say, you know what, we're going to fucking take our dinner outside and whatever or we're going to go and have a picnic instead or fuck it, let's have dinner later later tonight and let's go and do this right now. You know, it doesn't have to be if you can't afford to be doing activities all the time. Get out of your routine and constantly get your partner out of the routine and ask them to do the same for you, okay? I'm not saying fuck your schedule. I'm saying little surprises here and there. Variety is gen like genuinely the spice of life as far as happiness. Variety is crucial and we need it. And when we get variety in the things that bring us peace and happiness or the things that keep us grounded with a bit of variety, that's what's going to make us stay. If you have a relationship, yeah, I feel grounded, yeah, I feel secure, but I'm bored as fuck, then you're going to be seeking variety somewhere else. And I'm not talking about cheating. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying you're going to start thinking, oh, my relationship's boring, so I'm going to find entertainment outside of the relationship. I'm going to only think it's fun to go out with my friends, but not my partner. That's a really bad way of viewing your relationship and you don't want it to get like that. Your relationship should not be just a source of security. It should be a source of many things for you um, and vice versa. You should be feeding into the relationship what you get out of it. And that is a really good way of keeping that relationship flourishing for a long, long time. I personally have obviously not been in a long relationship for a very long time, but of course, I've been reading up a lot of these fucking studies. And everyone knows that the longer you stay in a relationship, the more you're going to get used to certain things. And then it can get to a point where it can be so fucking mundane. But the relationships where you're always communicating, where you're always talking about things, even if you think, oh, they probably already read. No, talk about how you feel. Talk about all this shit. Go on dates. If you're married for 30 years, go on dates. And that is the stuff that keeps you connected. Now I want to kind of end this episode by talking about the benefits of instant gratification and the benefits of hedonic adaptation. So you, there's always, this is the beauty of it. I'm, I rarely want you to cut something out of your life. I just want you to understand what it serves and use it to your benefit. Instant gratification, instant pleasure massively has a, a role to play in your life, a big role to play, but you've got to know when to use it. It is a great circuit breaker when you're really stressed or when you're feeling really, really down. Something that's going to give you instant gratification is a great way to just pick you up out of that zone that you're feeling in. Less effort, more instantaneous gratification, and it's going to kind of pick you up. Maybe not like a huge amount of sugar because that's going to make your like your fucking insulin like spike and then drop and all of that. But like a song or, you know, something that's going to make you laugh or something, you know, little things that you're like, okay, 
that tiny thing, while it's not going to make me happy, it's definitely going to give me a spike in happiness and I'm going to feel really good and that's a great way to break the circuit. So it's, it alleviates stress and that's when you should use things like instant gratification. It's, they're not, it's not a bad thing. It's just you don't rely on it for happiness. The next thing, hedonic adaptation is brilliant to remind yourself of every time you're thinking about taking a big leap in your life. If you know that eventually, no matter what happens, you're going to return to your base level of happiness and that base level of happiness is what you set it at, then you know that you quitting this job and going to another job you're going to adapt. If that new job is fucked and then you, you, you quit and then you can't go back to your old job, you've adapted. You've adapted and you've picked another job or you found that your old job, like you're over it now because you're in a different headspace. We are beings that adapt very fucking quickly to things, very, very quickly. So you need to embrace this idea that hedonic adaptation is a good thing and you hack it when you want to hack it, okay? So if you're sitting here thinking, fuck, do I take the leap? Take the fucking leap. You will adapt and before you know it, you're going to return to your baseline level of happiness, whether it works or whether it doesn't work. That's the beauty of it, okay? All you need to be focusing on is improving your baseline level of happiness through variety and through gratification, okay? And gratitude and being present in the moment and doing all those things. If you can add variety into your life, every single day, even just a little thing here and there, your baseline level of happiness is going to go up. And then anything you do to, that's a spike or a drop in that is fine because eventually if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to return to that baseline level of happiness that you've already set at a higher standard for yourself, okay? So that is what I want you focusing on this week. We're focusing on our baseline level of happiness. Don't look at those big things as bringing you happiness. Look at those big things as things that might help you in your growth something enjoyable to look forward to, something that helps you work on your purpose so you feel more fulfilled at the end of the day. But the things that are going to bring you happiness are the little things that you are doing every single day. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. What I haven't done in a little while is a little shout out to my beans around the world. So I've got a couple of locations. We have Helsinki in Finland. We've got Vimsy in Estonia. I hope I've pronounced that properly. Sao Paulo in Brazil and Seoul in South Korea. Bonjour, my beautiful beans. Thank you so much for tuning in. And also thank you to the – this week I've actually bumped into a bunch of my beautiful beans who have said hello, stop me in the street or stop me um, just to have a chat and I love it so much. It honestly means the world to me. So if you see me, hunt me down, wave me down, smack me down and say hello because I get so excited. Like I'm like 10 times more excited than you are. So it's amazing. And, yeah, shout out to Zoe. I was in David Jones trying on some clothes and Zoe came and she was like, oh, my God, I listened to your podcast and she literally listens to like she's every single episode just like since day one so shout out to you Zoe love you so much and I will be back to buy a pair of trousers because I ended up bailing anyway guys love you so much as always remember be kind to yourselves be kind to your brains don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself Danke.